This message was recorded at North 2013, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. I genuinely believe that part of our apostolic mandate as a family of churches, a group of churches working together, is that we have a gospel to proclaim which really is good news to the poor, which really is changing individuals, changing families, changing communities, which I believe ultimately will transform this nation. I believe that that's what we are giving our lives for. Now, one of the prophetic words that God has given us as a family of churches over the years is that we mustn't be independent and isolated, but that God would cause us to join hands with men and women across the globe. And as we did that, as we worked together with other leaders, as we worked together with other networks, as we worked together with other churches, that would actually strengthen our hand. And one of our great friends is here tonight. And it's my great privilege to introduce to you Scott Marks. Scott, you are so welcome. Why don't you come and join us? Thanks. Scott is exercising an apostolic ministry, not just in his home nation of Zimbabwe, but across the nations, and is making major impact locally, nationally, and globally. I'm going to ask God now just to bless him just to fill in with the Holy Spirit, because I believe that it's not a chance that Scott's here on this night when we showed that video and when God is speaking to us as a movement about social action, social enterprise and social justice. Lord Jesus, we right now do stand shoulder to shoulder. We thank you, Lord, for this even being a prophetic fulfilment of that word you spoke to us years ago as New Frontiers, joining hands, joining arms with men across the world. We thank you for Scott and Claire working in Zim and working from Zim into the nations. And Lord, we ask you now, as we receive Scott as an apostle amongst us, we ask you for a deposit from the Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask you as he shares stories, as he shares his life, as he shares scriptures, Lord, we would indeed be changed and we would be mobilized to see many more of those projects that we've been seeing on our screens tonight. We ask you speak to us in Jesus' name. Let's receive Scott, shall we? Amen. 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 Bless you. Well, good evening, everyone. It is an absolute joy to be with you. And uh, I felt so much excitement and I felt so at home just being among you for this hour. Uh, I can't believe how like stonely this is. And uh, I'm just amazed at what God is doing with the New Frontiers family of churches around the world. I just love being part of a genuine apostolic movement of churches that is hungry for the presence of God that honors the gifts of God, and that is running with the direction that God gives. And uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know Jeremy and Anne Simpkins over the years. And uh, Terry Virgo drew us together into various meetings where I had the joy of meeting them and getting to know them. And uh, I'd say that Jeremy is one of the most like Terry people I know. And... uh, 
That is, that is not a reference to his age at all, um, although Terry's a youngster. Uh, but Jeremy is somebody who just feels like Terry to me in so many ways. And uh, Terry has hugely impacted my life with his love for Jesus and his humility in interaction with other people. And just being here for these fir- this first hour, I've seen those characteristics once again all over the place here. And I believe that this is a very special family of churches that you are part of. God is unfolding a story that he has begun years ago. Men and women have prayed and walked faithfully over years and years. And you and I are part of this next phase in history, in the history of our family of churches as it multiplies into apostolic spheres, Christ Central and other ones led by apostles who commit themselves to relationships where we are mutually accountable and receive one another and don't want to be islands, as you've just heard Jeremy say. And so it's with such joy and such a sense of privilege that I come this evening and uh, bring you greetings from my family. Uh, Claire and my two children, Kimberly and Stephen, are in Ashburnham. And uh, they, they were going to come up for the two days here and then back down for two days with Dave and Liz and the team, new ground in the south. And then uh, we just decided that it would be best for the kids if they could have a run at the whole conference. And so I'm trusting that God is going to do something special in their lives. We were just praying as a family this morning. And uh, it's awesome how God takes people from one place in the world and puts them in another, and does things in their lives and takes them away somewhere else. And so I believe this is a divine appointment for our kids. And they're at Ashburnham at the moment, but send their love to you and they're praying for us tonight. I also bring greetings from the churches in Zimbabwe. And uh, I think there are some Zimbabweans in the room. Are there any Zimbabweans here? Whoa! There's only two, but I think they made more noise than the Brits uh, at the welcome there. So thank you, guys. Uh, It's just great to feel um, part of being family. I loved seeing Martin up on the screen and Nick Priggis. Nick, are you around? Nick here, no, he was on the video. And, And others up there and just meeting so many and so many from Canada. And it's just great to see that connection. And uh, already you are a truly international people, but I think God is going to take you from north to the nations with greater intensity and greater effectiveness in the years to come. I was amazed when the video started, and uh, it says, Faith, with, apart from works, is dead. And... Uh, Jeremy just emailed me and said, we'd love you to bring an apostolic word that propels people in what God has called us. And uh, the title of my message, I promise you, I didn't know anything of what was going to be said. I'll have to tell you in a moment. Uh, But uh, it it is absolutely unprepared, Uh, uh, unknown of what else was prepared there. I wonder if I could pray again. Father, thank you so, so much that you are a God who loves us. 
You are a God who not only created us, not only formed us, but you have lived among us. You have died for us. You have conquered death and given us eternal life, those of us who have put our faith in you. Thank you that you call us to all that you are doing on planet Earth, in this solar system, in this universe. Father, I pray tonight that you would help me to preach in such a way that moves us beyond half-heartedness, beyond mediocrity, beyond apathy, that propels a people in the purposes that you have for them. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would help me this evening to do this for your glory, Lord. Amen. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and... uh, As I was praying, preparing for this evening, I felt led back to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, I absolutely love preaching from the book of Hebrews and uh, have only once ever preached from Hebrews 11. And that was at the last Brighton Leaders Conference that we had where I preached the opening message of that last Brighton. And I feel... So similar here tonight being the opening message on the 10th north that you have and on the verge of you guys stepping into something new next year. And uh, as I've looked at Hebrews chapter 11, I've just picked verse 6 and I'll read it this evening and then provide a little bit of context and then give you the title of my message which will be part A this evening and part B tomorrow morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I'd like to look at two Bible themes over these two talks that I have the joy of giving. And the two themes are faith and action. And the title of my message, I could show you my notes, is Great Faith. And great action. And I would like to call you to great faith in God and great action for God. Ephesians, Galatians, the whole of the New Testament is shot through with this theme. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Gospels, the whole of the New Testament is full of this theme. Faith in action. The whole of Hebrews 11 is a roll call 
of people that had great faith and did great things, knew their God and did mighty exploits. And I'm not going to go through the whole of Hebrews 11, the roll call that it goes through, which starts in Genesis and finishes towards the end. I'm just going to point you to Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12 to give you a little bit of context. Hebrews 10 is one of the magnificent chapters on justification by grace through faith in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we stand forgiven forever. And Hebrews 10, verse 12, is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says, But when this priest, Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. When I gave my life to Christ at 11 or 12 years old, or 14, 14 years old. I remember the date specifically. No. <laughs> I gave my life to Christ on the, on the short wall of a cricket pitch with my best friend at senior school called PJ Smythe. He led me to Christ. My, my dad is a Portuguese guy. My mum is from the UK. Uh, I still have family in Aberdeen. I feel like... This is home, close to the Scottish border. But I went to a Presbyterian church a bit when I was younger and had a look in at the Catholic church. But when I went to, to senior school, I heard about what it means to be born again. And I gave my life to Jesus and received His forgiveness. But what I couldn't quite understand at first was how God could forgive all the sins that I'd committed before I came to Christ but after I came to Christ and still sinned every now and then, not very often, but every now and then, that, he, that I was still forgiven. How did that work? Did I have to keep saying sorry? Was I in heaven? Was I still going to heaven? What if I died but hadn't said sorry? And this scripture says that this priest offered for all time one sacrifice. Oh, when I saw that, <laughs> it's, it's okay. For all time, it's one sacrifice. We receive his forgiveness as an eternal gift. And that freedom to sin gives us strength not to sin. Crazy. My son Stephen, who's now 14, when he was four, he didn't like eating his vegetables. To this day, he doesn't. When he was about six, he was at the dinner table with me. And he said, Dad, is there anything I could ever do that would ever make me no longer your son? So I said, no, Stephen, I, I want you to know, no. 
And then a little bit later he said, Dad, I really need to know. Is there anything, I mean, any, like something so bad, I do so many times, that at some point I'm no longer your child. And seeing this as an opportune moment, <laughs> apostolically, I looked into his eyes. And I said, Stephen, I really want you to know there is nothing you have ever done, are doing now, or will ever do in the future that will ever change the fact that you are my son. And he said, watch me eat my peas. And he just started scooping these peas into his mouth. And I suddenly realized the sin he was battling with was not eating veggies. And he was about to tell me that he's not going to eat his peas again. And just before he said that, he just wanted to check how close he was to being <laughs> no longer my son. And what is so interesting is that when he received the assurance of who he was, it made him want to do the right thing. He shoveled peas into his mouth. The first and only time he's ever done it, but he did it that night. What a truth. What a truth to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We've just gone through an election in Zimbabwe and some people thought that the president, the current president, Robert Mugabe, was going to change. Some people really hoped he was. Some people really hoped he wouldn't be. Sunday morning at church, the results had come out. Mugabe is in for another five-year term. That means if, if that term runs its full course, he will be in his 90s leading the country. We had such joy praying on Sunday morning for all those in authority that none would be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is the big picture. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. So important that we are connected to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 10 is drumming this in. You are God's. You are His forever. Hebrews chapter 12 is saying, persevere in who you are. You are His children. You are His sons. He will discipline you. It's not that it's going to be an easy life. In fact, in this life you will have trials of many kinds. But I have overcome the world. Go for it. Endure hardship. Verse 7. God is treating you as sons. Make every effort. Verse 14. To live at peace with all men. Don't get involved in rubbish. Um, persevere in all that God has called you to. And so he's saying, you are God's children. Don't stop going for it. And in the middle is Hebrews 11, where the writer to the Hebrews describes what going for it means. And going for it means big faith and big action while we live and breathe on planet Earth. Satan 
will try to keep us away from one or other or both of faith and action. There's four alternatives. There's either no faith, no action. Satan's happy with that. Or faith in Christ, no action. Satan's not so happy with that because you've come to Christ, but he's happy that it has no effect on anybody else. Then there's action, no faith. Satan's not so happy about that, but because he, he doesn't like anybody being blessed and helped, but at least you're not saved and the people that you're helping aren't getting saved in the process. And then option four is faith and action. Satan hates that one. He does everything he can to stop you from coming to faith. And once you've come to faith, he does everything he can to stop you being effective in your action. His worst case scenario is Mr. and Miss, Ms. Believer who is in mighty faith and mighty action for the days of their lives. That's Satan's worst nightmare. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Have a look at it again. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because everyone who comes to Him must believe He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. First of all, big faith. We'll look at this tonight. Second of all, big action. We'll look at that tomorrow morning. Big faith consists of coming to God Believing that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It seems too simple. I love how simple Scripture is. I love how simple Jesus' life was. Just believe that God exists. I believe there is a, an onslaught of the enemy to make us doubt God's existence. Bart Simpson recently caricatured this perfectly for the postmodern culture. He was asked by his dad, Homer, could you please pray for the food before the meal, son? And so Bart goes, God, we paid for this food, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> Keeps his eyes open all the way through, not that there's anything wrong with that. And just brazenly denies God. We have a culture, we live in a culture, certainly in a European and Northern Hemisphere context, as far as I can see, that is out and out against God. We need to come to God believing that He exists. I loved singing these songs tonight. He is the champion of my soul. This is our God. 
I really want to encourage you tonight that you will stand before God and give an account for your life. He exists. God is. I, I saw a Facebook repost of one of Terry's quotes recently and it went so fast past the feed that I couldn't retrieve it, but it went something like this. God accords to every person the dignity and responsibility to give an account of their life to God on that day. You will be given the dignity and responsibility to account to God, the Creator, for your life. You will be given that. You will be given that. Every person in this room. The only thing that can stand against that fact is the, is the mind that says, no, it's not true. There is no God. That is the basis of anti-faith. You don't have faith. We have just done a little Bible school in Zimbabwe this year. And we've run an apologetics course. The most exciting part of the apologetics course that I, that I saw and I've never seen before, Ravi Zacharias talks about something instead of nothing. Or order instead of chaos. He's got one that talks about experiential beauty. He says... If you say there is no God, never mind about how did everything come to be here and how come everything's in order and gravity is constant and this and that and the other. Just what about beauty? How is it that when you get out of the city and up into the north, the sheer beauty restores your soul? How is it that when you go trout fishing on the river, you are experientially changed? How is it that when you look at the clouds, when you look at mountains, it physically changes you? As, as beautiful as this barn is and the layout of these chairs, if you look for a long time, you will start to feel sick. If you choose the Sydney Opera House or, or any man-made structure, you will see birds' droppings coming down the side. and there's, there's a whole bunch of rubbish. But you go out into the natural world, the beauty. I, I went to a musical called Wicked. I would never have done that uh, if I hadn't booked the wrong tickets. <laughs> And they were the only, I'd spent so much money already, and these were the only seats they had. So I thought, oh boy. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I was in tears three or four times. The music, the voices, the harmonies, and the power of the talent. It is experiential. Notes of music. There is too much beauty. For God not to be the creator. 
And I could stand here tonight and give example and reason after reason. If you believe God is, you have faith. That is a big deal. I believe there are many in this room tonight who have faith that God exists. That is a bigger deal than you realize. You are living with me in a world where most people doubt God. They are making God in their own image. They are working Him out. They are even religious people. It's a whole fear factor going on. You believe God is, is a big deal. We live in a virtual world. I can't believe the speed of the internet here. I can't believe how many people are playing computer games in the tubes and on the trains and in offices and everywhere. And people are living online and virtual relationships and everything's going unsubstantial. It's not as it seems. The backbone is falling out. And it makes, I think, a first world mind doubt everything. In Wicked, the Wizard of Oz turns out he has no power. Have any of you seen Wicked? The big guy, it's all smoke and mirrors. The bad, the spells are with the witch. And she's got the real power. And it's just undermining, undermining all the time that there is one who is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. Secondly, there's a challenge that God rewards. First challenge is that He exists at all. The second challenge is that He rewards. Faith must believe God exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. I mean, that is amazing. That God rewards. When I say to you, you will stand and give an account for your life. The immediate thing that goes through our feeling is fear. Like, Will I be okay? Will I make it? Because God judges. God is ready to send me to hell. But if my plea is okay, I think I'm going to make it. The writer to the Hebrews is wanting us to have assurance. Not only that God exists, but that God is for us. That God is eager to reward. That God is good. And this gets challenged by Satan right from the book of Genesis, right from the inception of our lives, all the way through. Satan will challenge who God is and will challenge what, God character, what God's character is like. He says to, to Eve and Adam in the garden, did God really say? He challenges God's identity. God's word and His person are one. So when 
Satan says, did he really say? He's challenging the very essence of who God is. But I think there's a subtlety in there as well, that he's not only challenging what he's saying, but he's challenging whether he exists at all. In other words, Adam, did God really say, or was that not just a figment of your imagination? Wasn't it just something you came up with? Did God really say that? Or Doubt, doubt, doubt. Satan sows doubt. No sooner is the doubt set in, he then says, he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know. Then you will be like him. He doesn't want you to have it all. He's not actually good. Big faith says God is and God rewards. If there, if there are any two foundational truths that's good to have in your life, it is that you believe God exists and that He is for you and not against you. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. He has revealed His truth and He will reward. Tim Keller makes an argument into a first world postmodern mindset. And he says there's a big problem with thinking you can challenge what Scripture says. He says, our problem with some parts of the Bible may be based on the unexamined belief in the superiority of our historical moment over other moments. But we must not universalize our time and culture. To reject the Bible as regressive is to assume that we have all arrived at the ultimate historic moment. This belief is surely as narrow and exclusive as the views the Bible that we may regard offensive are. He talks about a Stepford God. He says, do you remember the film Stepford Wives? Where some men in Connecticut decided they would turn their wives into robots and make them compliant. How wonderful. And, and beautiful. But a commodity. And when we take away from God everything that challenges us, when we submit to Him, and put our faith in Him, uh, when we don't submit to Him and put our faith in Him, we choose the bits we like about God and choose the bits we like about the Bible and choose other bits from other places, we make God in our own image. We end up with a Stepford God where we don't have real relationship. One of the beauties about a real relationship is you can be challenged. You can be contradicted. I wish my wife was here to endorse what I'm saying. She would probably contradict it. 
I'm joking. But there is real intimacy where you can have real challenge. Big faith in a big God. I'd like to finish tonight by giving you some practical pointers on what this means in our day-to-day lives. What does it mean when we say it's all true? This is the greatest love story that will ever be told. This is the greatest story of heroic redemption that will ever be spun. This is the greatest story of triumph over good and evil. It's all true. What does it mean for our daily lives when we say, if we went for it, it would all be worth it? You would have not a regret. God is no no man's debtor. What does it mean if we have eternal value, eternal significance, eternal purpose, eternal life? I'd like to suggest to you that big faith means three things before we look at action tomorrow. I love the guy on the video that said, This is not about furniture. This is about faith in Christ. I'm involved with Foundations for Farming. We keep saying this is not about farming. This is about faith in Christ. The action follows genuine faith. I want to suggest to you in your daily lives that this big faith involves at its core three fundamental expressions. Number one is big worship. God seeks those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, You are my King. In a moment, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Not right now, but just now. And we're going to sing, This is our God to get out of our beds in the morning and get on our knees or sit down, whatever, and say, Lord Jesus, before the hustle and bustle of the day, I say, my Father, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are glorious. You are God. You are King. I I love the person who started tonight and said, put the name of Jesus on your lips. This is rubber-hit-the-road stuff. I I, I don't mind if you don't remember the guy who spoke at North on the opening night. If in your daily lives you find a priority in worshipping God. If, If it just becomes what you love to do. We wake up and the iPhone's by us and already little messages are going off and we start checking things and we get into the rat race. And the world is sending messages and your mother-in-law is sending messages and all sorts of people are sending messages. 
And we don't listen to God. And, and Satan sows doubt, doubt, doubt. And we start to think God doesn't reward. And we don't know about God. And then after a long time, we go on holiday and we get refreshed. Ooh, we come back. But to be big faith in this day in which we live, we just don't let that stuff take priority. We are worshippers. I loved Anne's message saying, Jeremy and I love God's presence. Moses got this right. Joseph got this right. Jesus got this right. Paul got this right. If there's one thing I've learned from Terry, he got this right. He just will not move. These guys just don't. They worship God. And if it means waking up 15 minutes earlier to say, Jesus, I give you these moments. It's so wonderful to fast. To fast as worship and to say, I, I'm not going to eat X today or these next days or whatever period. Say, I worship you. You are more important to me than food. You are more important to me than money. You are more important to me than anything or anyone. Big worship. Secondly, and you hear the applause. I just think that's great. Do you know that, that word, I wrote them down here. The lady said, God was saying to us, I love you when you worship me. She said, I, I, it, it felt like God's applause and him saying, I love you as you worship me. The wonderful thing about God is He loves us anyway. But this scripture says, to please God, believe He exists and He rewards those who diligently seek Him. To be diligent in that. To seek Him. To worship Him. The other guy... The other guy came up interpreting came up interpreting the tongue and said, Jesus, I never tire of you. I, I never tire. I can just imagine Jesus saying that to the Father. I'm here again. I, I see these little kids running around and it makes me think of my little kids. They never tire. Uh, we have... They... <laughs> They never tire, yeah. We, we have a thing in our family called prayer time. And it's 10 or 15 minutes in the morning that we sit around as a family. We've done it from when they were two and they're now 15 and 13. And most prayer times, like 98% of them, I just sit down and I say, Stephen, I'm so proud of you in what you did here and here. And Kimberly, you nailed it here and there. I love you guys. I love telling them that every morning. They never tire of hearing it. They never tire of coming close. We pray together as a family. Love just multiplies. It never divides. Never becomes a problem. Too much of this. Idolatry is where we put something up that's an alternative. 
source of devotion. Idolatry dilutes our devotion to Jesus. Idolatry pollutes our devotion to Jesus. It's saying there's something more attractive, there's something more exciting, there's something more urgent, there's something that requires your attention. And anything that pretends needs to be identified and drilled. Adultery is idolatry in a husband and wife relationship. It's the same thing. It's there's something else, someone else, something, someone more attractive. I can have this and that. Dilutes, pollutes. We think we can have a relationship with our husband and wife or wife and we can have pornography going on the side. You can't. It dilutes your devotion and pollutes. Sin separates and sin spoils. It just doesn't work. Big faith requires big worship. I'd say get hold of the CD. Get hold of songs that you know and love. Write down songs. Learn words. Worship in tongues. Praise in tongues. Lie down on your face. You know those Pentecostal things, you can twiddle your feet or do whatever you like. Do those things. Do stuff. Like, like you are in a romantic relationship, go to different places, do crazy things, enjoy being with God. I love this. Being friends, enjoying God. Building churches, word and spirit, kingdom transformation, reach the world and the nations. This is the stuff. And it begins there. And, and we're going to tomorrow be talking a little bit on there. But I just love what we've heard tonight in the tongues and in the interpretation and the videos that it's based in faith. Big worship. Secondly, big asks or big prayers. Worshipping God is asking appropriate things. God is interested in every detail of our lives. But I love the story. I think it was of a Salvation Army preacher in the Second World War who was preaching to his church saying we've got to be involved in social action. We've got to respond in wartime. We need your pennies. We need your pounds. We need whatever time you can give us in your week to help. And then he noticed a billionaire walk in the back of the meeting. And he effortlessly changed his tone. He said, we need your boats. We need your planes. We need your ambulances. We need your ships. We need your staff. And he just elevated his requests because he understood who was in the audience. Big faith really understands who the audience is. Who God is. When Jesus taught us to pray, just like He started, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name, He then goes straight into these big prayers. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray big prayers. Ask big stuff. 
the very things that's on your heart, the things that worry you, the things that preoccupy you, bring them to God. I am the worst culprit. I bring the little things, but the big battles, I'll sort those out. I worry about them, I deal with them, I make a plan, and when it's all done, I say, oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. We bring, we need to bring these things, the things that worry us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. Big faith will involve big worship, big prayers, and thirdly, big truth. A commitment to truth. A commitment to God's Word. The bread of life. Give us this day our daily bread. God, open up your scripture to me. Thank you for my physical provision. Thank you for my spiritual provision. Open up your Word to me. I need your truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We are going to walk in this kind of faith as we worship Him, as we ask of Him, as we know Him. Spirit, soul, body in action. Your life and my life are far too significant to miss this. I came through King's Cross St. Pancras today, having come from Victoria. I have never seen so many people in my life. It's like a sea of people. And you can think, my life is insignificant. My life, what does it count for? That thinking is absolute rubbish. Your life is of eternal importance. It will matter for all eternity. Every decision you make, every thought you think, every action you take, every attitude of your heart will echo for eternity because God is and He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It counts. It's worth it. Don't miss it. Could I ask the band to come up? And I'd like to close with this. As you wake up tomorrow morning, as you go to bed this evening, you will have a chance in the quietness of your heart to worship Him, to express praise to Him, to do what the Psalms talk about, Lift your hands, lift your voices, express praise to Him. The newspaper will come out and everybody will be reading about Beyonce and about the ashes and about Cameron and about this and that. And they're saying things and they're reading things. And it's none of the things that really build faith. Now the ashes is very close to God's heart. I understand as is David Cameron. All of these things are important to God. The whole of life is important. It's not wrong to read the newspapers. It's not wrong to play cricket. It's not wrong to be married. But any of these good things can take the place of God. 
My appeal to you tonight is to believe God is and He rewards those who diligently seek Him. He is for you. His eyes roam to and fro across the earth for those whose hearts are wholeheartedly turned towards Him. Just like you would pursue a woman, just like you would pursue a guy, be after God. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. I say, you are my King, you are my God. In a context where the whole world seems to be denying you, I for one stand up and say, you are my King. Do you know our days will soon be over? The opportunity to worship God in a fallen world is going to go in the blink of an eye. Every morning we wake up is a vital, perfect opportunity to not be anti-Christ, but to be for Christ. To believe He is. He rewards those. And as you step out of your tent or out of your B&B, how you interact with others, how you interact with friends, family, enemies, the whole of our lives, based on worshipping Him, asking of Him, knowing His truth that guides us as a lamp to our paths. Father, thank You so much. that you are not hard to please. All we have to do is come to you believing that you exist and that you reward those who seek you. I wonder if you could stand up where you are as we pray. Maybe you can lift your hands to God as a sign of your open heart to Him. Lord, everyone whose hands are up this evening, says to you, we want to be a people who please you. We want to be a people who know our God who know who you are in that you exist and that you reward. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your love. Thank you for your applause. Thank you that you are for us and not against us. This evening as we sing the song, Lord Jesus, we declare this is our God. We are not confused. Lord, as we sing this, I pray that you'd help us to sing it with all of our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to wake up with a song on our hearts. That we'd be people who worship big time, who pray big time, who read your word and live your word big time. Who don't live half-hearted, but go pedal to the metal. We worship you tonight, Lord Jesus.